No. It's enough. Even torturing you is boring. This is the small council. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Small Council Radio. Uh, it's been a while, and I'm excited to be back. Uh, sorry to leave you all wanting for some new episodes. Life's been hectic, um, but, you know, no more excuses. Uh, I've gotten with my other co-hosts, and we are getting a plan in order to make sure that we're providing at least an episode a week for you guys between all of us. Um, I'm going to try to be on every one of them, but uh, worst case, if I can't, um, my co-host will help fill in uh, the gaps. But, uh, you know, without further ado, we can um, kind of get into it. I want to thank uh, Luke uh, for coming on last minute uh, to kind of talk about a bunch of random stuff tonight, and uh, we'll get to it one by one, but uh, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank, thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, of course. Uh, our episodes are always uh, very, you know, packed with uh, with topics, so it's never uh, never a dull moment. Um, so, so I wanted to kind of um, use the first part of it to promote some events coming up, uh, both on my end and on Luke's end. Um, but for those uh, tuning in, don't worry, we will have some actual topics coming up afterwards. But I really, you know, both events that we're going to be talking about are qualifier events for nationals. So definitely uh, stay tuned for all the details on those. Be awesome to have you guys, uh, you know, to see you guys at one of these events or both, if possible. Um, uh, Luke, do you want to do you want to go first or second? You want to? Yeah, I'm going to go first. I'll kick it off. Uh, so this coming awesome. weekend, I know it's. It's short, but it's uh, but this weekend, uh, July 29th and the 30th, uh, we've got our two-day Rocket City Championship event, and uh, this event is not just a regional qualifier for us. This is this is also our championship event, and what we want to be the premier event for uh, the Southeast United States. Uh, I know we had Cherokee open uh, as part of the Frontline Gaming event series earlier in the year. Uh, and that was in North Carolina. Uh, this event is a hometown event for us, but it's really aimed at trying to bring as many people into it as we can. And we felt like when we were looking at what we could do to really put the event kind of above and beyond what our normal events are was to make it a two-day event. And with the two-day event, uh, we've got the first three rounds on day one. We've got uh, rounds four and five on day two. And uh, what we've experienced in the past with two-day events is that uh, they, they allow a lot more time per round. Uh, we're going to have two hours of playtime each round, and we're going to have time for our low breaks. And especially on the first day, we're going to be able to dismiss uh, early at about 6 o'clock for dinner. 
And with the plan being that since everybody's in town for the event and staying, you know, either at a hotel or Airbnb, uh, the evening is, is really an open invitation to come and join us for dinner and drinks. Uh, there's a local uh, kind of pub, almost bar scene. It's, uh, it's made up out of an old abandoned high school. Uh, they took the high school, they took all the different, you know, rooms and areas in the in this high school and they turned it into different places for like local craft breweries axe throwing uh different restaurants i mean there's just so much there if you if you want to look it up and see what it what it is it's campus 805 uh, in huntsville alabama that's the venue where we're going to be going on saturday evening after our first round of gaming and this is really a social event as well um it's not just a show up for your one day you know, play, get your, your regional qualifier in, and then go home. Uh, this is a great opportunity to meet people, make friendships, uh, hang out outside. To draw people in as well, we've, we've really tried to put in a lot of effort into our prize support. Uh, so not only have we received some pretty generous surprise support from Simon and from Adam Lavelle, uh, we've got just in prize support from Simon, we've got three starter boxes uh, as well as about 12 to 14 unit boxes. And then we've got our best in faction prizes. And uh, Brandon McDowell, uh, also the brand, the bodybuilder on stats, uh, he went out of his way, purchased with his own money, uh, some, some kind of individualized gifts for each faction. I know uh, for Starks, he's got like a Stark mug. Uh, for Night's Watch, he's got a like replica um, dragon glass dagger. Um, for Free Folk, he's got a uh, almost like a, uh, what would you call it, like a funny gift idea for like, it's, it's mammoth fur and it's like sealed in a little case. It's pretty pretty hilarious, but uh, he's, he's put some effort in to put it together, those best in faction prizes. And then we've got, of course, the door prizes, which really is uh, it's handed out to every person who buys a ticket to the event. Uh, they'll get a special high ground hobbies uh, little measuring, measuring stick, and it's basically a six-inch by three-inch by two-inch by one-inch um, neat little, like, measure that's uh, pretty much laser cut and detailed and I mean we use them all the time and people always ask us where we got them from and and we figured since so many people you know like them and ask to borrow them in the middle of a game we figured we'd, we'd just give one out to everybody who came to the event as, as something they could take home with them uh, and then as for our actual trophies themselves uh, we've got some small not quite life-size replica weapons but they're uh they're small. They're probably about six inches in height. Uh, they're replica weapons from the television show. We've got Arya's uh, sword uh, needle. We've got Jon Snow's sword uh, long claw. We've got uh, Jamie Lannister's sword oathkeeper, and we've got the, uh, of course, the the dagger, the cat's ball, you know, dagger from the show. And we've got them pretty much built up on little plinths for your trophies. Uh, and the, all four of those will go out to our, either our tournament winner, our overall grand champion, whoever finishes in first place, uh, according to the normal tournament metrics on stats. And then we've got uh, one for best painted army, 
one for best sportsman, and we've got one for our best general. And best general is a category we've been doing here at Rocket City. Uh, the way we do best general is we we write down every player's starting ELO rating from stats. And whether you're a brand new player and you're starting at 1500, or you've been playing the game for a while and you're you're above or, or below 1500. Uh, we write down your starting position, and then at the end of the tournament, after all the rounds have been played, uh, we look at everybody's new ELO score. And whoever has the, the highest positive increase in their rating, uh, that's the person that we crown best general. So it's not necessarily the person who wins first place or second place, and, and usually it's not either first or second. Usually it's the one who's more around like the second, or rather the third through fifth or sixth position. Um, and we, we find it's just a great way to reward someone who, according to stats, had difficult matchups, but were able to at least get the best uh, out of those matchups, whether they won every round or whether they won, you know, maybe just four rounds and lost one round. Uh, based on the quality of the matches, they, they prove themselves. And so we, we try to recognize that with the best general trophy. That's that's my big spiel. Uh, any questions so far, Dave? Um, what? Uh, how many uh, total spots you got uh, left uh, for the event? Yeah, great question. So we're capped out at 32 players. That's partly due to the venue size that we're going to be playing at, and also due to we want it to be five rounds. We want after five rounds there to be a, a definite winner. We don't want Go over 32 players and, and not be able to have uh, one player at least undefeated. Um, so right now we're sitting at 21 players registered. Uh, so if my math's correct, that gives us 11 more spots uh, that we're available to fill. Uh, we're hoping to break at least 24 players. Uh, if we can get 24 or more, that will officially make it the largest uh, Song of Ice and Fire event, at least in the South. Um, I know that we've we've had some larger events uh, for Adepticon and and for the Las Vegas Open, but for the Southeast over here, we we really I think capped out at 23 players last year at the Atlanta Georgia Gigabytes Regional Qualifier. So we we'd like to at least uh, eclipse that number just just to show that we're the game is growing. Uh, and uh, have people come and see what a great venue we have. Uh, the place that we're playing at is High Ground Hobbies and Cafe. Uh, you can look it up at www.highgroundhobbies.com. You can just Google High Ground Hobbies in Madison, Alabama. And if you, if you do take a look, it's a beautiful uh, new store that opened up last year, sort of right after Nationals, actually. It was about the October time frame. And we, we just feel like we're absolutely spoiled here in Huntsville with this venue. Uh, Wes and the guys that run it, uh, they, they do a great job, and they put a lot of effort into the trophies and, and helping us uh, to facilitate a great event. And we've just always gotten really great feedback. And I think when people look at the website and take a look at the pictures of the kind of tables that we're playing on, um, each table is built in with its own um, – adjustable, I guess, I don't even know what you call it. It's almost like a sub table. It's a table on top of the table, but, but the table is built in with, uh, with a little board piece in the middle, which is great for like a tactics board and keeping your tactics hand and, and your tokens and mission cards. 
And then it's also got a built-in uh, dice tray on each side. And it's adjustable in the sense that you can play, you know, you can play on the table with, you can take it off and play on a six by four table, or you can put it on there. What we do for a song is we, you know, slide it down so that it's covering up part of the table. So you got a, you got a four by four, either on the right or the left side. And then you got about a foot of this little sub table and then another foot of clear area on the other side for like your destroyed units and your, your terrain and things you're not using. So it's a great venue. We've got plenty of space left, and uh, they're just growing. We were kind of hoping by, by this time this year they'd have the Airbnb open. Um, underneath the store, they're building a, a I want to say it's a six-person Airbnb, uh, which is going to help really help in the future facilitate these two-day type events where people are going to want to stay overnight. And they're also building in the back a, uh, a streaming room which uh, if it was ready to go by next weekend, that is where we would be playing our top table. Uh, we'd be having our top table every round in the streaming room um, with someone, either me or, or someone from the store, uh, commentating uh, with microphones and everything. So the vision for the store is still kind of coming into place because it's still so new, but uh, it, it's a great place to, to come and check out and play and, and in my opinion, Huntsville, Alabama is a wonderful place to come and, and visit for a two-day event. There's so much to see here. And uh, Brandon's done a great job of trying to showcase uh, just what all we have here in our player packet. That sounds awesome. I wish I could uh, I could attend, uh, especially if they once they get that Airbnb uh, up and running, it might be a possibility in the future. Um, Forgive me if uh, you had already mentioned it, but uh, how many uh, qualifying spots uh, does the event give? I believe it should get four. Um, I'll have to – I know they've changed a little bit of, of how many spots it gives away, uh, but I'll be honest. We have so many people who I can already look and tell on our roster, so many people who have already qualified uh, between some of the other qualifiers that we've had with, like, Cherokee, uh, people who went to – uh, Adepticon, uh, and people who went to a regional qualifier we had in Chattanooga uh, earlier this month. Um, so I, I would say half of our people who are registered are, are have already qualified. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, you, you could probably place in the middle of the pack and earn a qualifier at this tournament. Um, there's going to be a lot up for grabs. But uh, I, I want to say four. I'm going to double-check the article on organized play just to make sure I'm not uh, getting that that burn correct but uh, should be over the the threshold for whatever the maximum number of spots are for local events. now is uh is it going to be on stats or is it already on stats it is if you go into stats and you go to the tournament page you should be able to search for uh, rocket city championship or Rocket City Grand Championship. Uh, you can also just search for uh, Madison, Alabama, and uh, you'll be able to find us on there. And, and on that page, on the info portion of that page, we've got a link to our player packet, uh, which is just a group Google Drive link, and, and it's just about a, I want to say about a six-page uh, PDF. Uh, just goes over the time for the rounds and everything, how to buy a ticket, uh, what sort of prizes were given away, 
uh, how we evaluate those prizes, you know, and then the typical tournament rules for lists, um, what kind of terrain we're running. So it, for our event, uh, I know it's different for every event, it seems like, but for our event, what we do in, in here in the Southeast, which kind of become our standard, is we do four pieces of random terrain. So each player gets to roll twice uh, on the random chart. Uh, we don't do the D3 plus two. We just find that some games have like too few. If you only roll, you know, a one on the D3 plus two pieces, three pieces just is not enough terrain. Uh, but four pieces of random. And, and we've honestly, that has always been how we play here. And I know it's different everywhere you go. Uh, but we haven't had any complaints. But but just so people are aware that that's, uh, that's the ruling that we're running. We put that in our player packet. We also cover uh, how we deal with proxies. Uh, proxies are kind of discouraged, but as long as, uh, you know, a, a proxy that's something that's not a Seamon or a Dark Sword miniature at all, uh, there's, you know, no conversion, no, no, nothing. It's just a, a straight-up substitute model. We really only allow it if the opponent will allow it. If if they're okay with playing against it, you know we're okay allowing it. Uh, but if they're not okay playing against it, then we put in our player packet that uh, we would rather uh, you bring the Simon or Dark Sword miniature uh, for whatever you're playing. You know, so if that's Peter Baelish, bring the bring the Dark Sword Peter Baelish, bring the Simon Peter Baelish model with you, whether it's painted or not, it's fine. But if you're playing with something else and you're calling it Peter Baelish. Uh, as long as your opponent's okay, we're okay. But if your opponent says, I, I, I'm going to forget that that's Peter, I'm sorry, but if you don't mind, just, just use the normal miniature, uh, we ask that you have that normal miniature with you. And if you don't, then you're just not going to be able to play with an NCU. <laughs> uh, and then we, yeah, then we talk about a little bit about uh, what, what we have here in Huntsville and, and Madison, Alabama, some lodging options that you have that are close by the store. Um, and and then sort of what the plans are for Saturday night, which you know I'm looking forward to as well. Uh, just getting getting some time to, you know, we get to meet some great people when we go to these events, but we you know we're we're usually so busy playing and moving our stuff around from table to table, and the time between rounds is usually so short. You know, you never really get to do much other than say, you know, how'd your game go? Hey, how's the round? You know, to the next one. And then at the end of the day, you're so tired and worn out from the games, you just, you know, pack up your stuff and head home. And uh, we really wanted this opportunity to, to get to know people even more than just, you know, your interactions in the game. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and you said that uh, that event is this Saturday? Yeah, and I know it's short notice for a two-day event, uh, but it is this Saturday, 29th and the 30th of July, and, and we're probably going to be uh, taking a break for running events here for a while. We're going to let this play out, and then we're going to um, probably just hang back, maybe attend other events uh, around in our local area, go see some friends in some other states. Um, unfortunately, myself and Brandon uh, are not going to be able to attend nationals, so we'll just be kind of watching that one and cheering for, for people from afar, uh, you know, hoping everybody has a safe trip there and has a great time. 
Um, but our next event after this one, it's probably going to be a while. It's probably going to be like November, December. Uh, and I think uh, usually the competitive fervor for our local scene uh, dies down a little bit once the national championship is over. Uh, and it kind of we kind of get into this lull of waiting for maybe a possible update after the new year, uh, maybe some new releases. And I think that's a great time for us. What we're going to be looking to do in that sort of winter time frame is uh, probably running like an ELO event, uh, like a negative ELO, where you know we're or we're going to do something to incentivize players to play things that they don't normally play. Um, Units that don't normally get played, commanders that don't normally get played. Uh, still, still some time to figure out how we're going to approach that, but um, that'll probably be our next event. But that's just to say that this event really is our our championship for the year. Nice. So. Uh... Yeah, I can't Enough promise uh, nearly. <laughs> I can't promise uh, as uh, bougie of a event uh, for ours, but uh, I can say our event um, is going to have a ton of prize support as well. Um, our event uh, here in the Chicagoland area is Chicago's Knights of Summer Regional uh, U.S. National Qualifier event. Um, one reason I kind of asked you how many spots uh, your event gives is to, is because Adam never got back to me on how many spots uh, our <laughs> event will grant. So um, everyone stay tuned for that. Uh, as soon as I have an answer, I will give the answer to you. Um, our event uh, is Let's see, Saturday, August 26th, so you have some time. Um, uh, it looks like exactly a month to the day uh, in Mount Prospect, Illinois. That is about 30 minutes north northwest of uh, Chicago itself. So, you know, it's a nice spot. Lots of, uh, you know, you're right next to the O'Hare Airport. Um, lots of places to uh, to stay, lots of food, lots of things to do, but you are just uh, enough outside of the city that you don't have to worry about the headache of that, of, you know, just all the congestion and um, just traffic and all that. I mean, traffic, depending on time of day, can still be a bit uh, rough, but um, definitely getting a bit further away from it uh, out out by our shop. Um, it, our shop is a smaller-ish shop, so we do have a limit of 24 spots. Most of those spots, I shouldn't say most, but a good chunk of them uh, will probably go really fast. Um, so we're hoping to kind of cap out at that 24, which would be really nice. Um, no one signed up yet, but that is because this is the first time I've been promoting it. I wanted the show to kind of be the first time uh, I was really pushing hard for it. That and we have our local event this Saturday. So uh, a lot of our locals are kind of, you know, month by month. So not until after this event will they even be thinking about our event next month. So um, 
uh, just wait for the the signups to be rolling in. Uh, as far as uh, any uh, rules, uh, you know, you got your basic stuff, uh, you know, your two four-point lists. Um, the entry is just a $15 in-store purchase, uh, which can be anything in the store. Then for each person that did that to enter, uh, an additional $10 store credit gets put into the prize pool. That is something that the shop does. So not only is your entry almost free because you're buying yourself, you know, you could just buy yourself $15 in paint, and then that gets you in uh, entry, and then the shop is then also putting a $10 store credit per person. Um, and then rounds are based on attendance. Uh, I want to make that very clear. Uh, it could be four. It could be five. Um, you know, the the kind of the controversial thing that uh, happened at the Super Regional, um, I'm going to say it right now is uh, that's why that's worded that way. Uh, it just whatever we can do to make sure that there's no uh, – um, that there's only one undefeated. Now, with that said, if we need to, if there is only two undefeateds, if we just need to make the fifth round be those two play it out, then we might do that. Uh, we're leaving our options kind of open. Um, but uh, that way you guys kind of know up front before the event. Um, we don't want to, like, say one hard, uh, hard, uh, position on it and then be stuck doing that if it doesn't make sense uh, based on the attendance or based on how many people show up. Um, there'll be uh, two-hour rounds. Um, warnings will be called 30, with 30 minutes left, and uh, a call for no new rounds will be at the 15-minute mark. Uh, at that time, you'll be allowed to finish your current round. Uh, I know there's some places out there, and this is what happened at Gen Con, which was super unpopular. They kind of, you know, after the time was up, they told you to stop doing what you're doing, and you literally could not, you know, the game literally ended. You couldn't finish doing anything you had. So if, you know, you hadn't moved your last couple units onto objectives because it wasn't advantageous to do so, too bad. Time ended, you can't touch any models. Uh, our group is super against that, so that is why we have the rule the way it is. You get to finish the round you're on. Sometimes that means that uh, the rounds can go a little longer than we hope, but overall, as long as uh, you know, I'll be TOing, uh, I will not be playing unless there's an odd number, just to avoid the whole buy um, shenanigans. But um, I'm going to be on top of you know, making sure our rounds stay a uh, tight two hours. Uh, missions will be selected from everything in the rulebook, excluding Storm of Swords, Winds of Winter, and Feast for Crows. So uh, besides those three, uh, expect any of the missions. For any rules questions, uh, you can feel free to ask me ahead of time, and I will give you, give you a ruling ahead of time so that you're not surprised the day of. Uh, terrain is something that we do at our shop, kind of like what you're saying, Luke. We we have our own. Uh, ours is a little more 
complex. And I say not com- I don't say complex because it really isn't that uh, in depth. But what we do is four pieces as well. Uh, but it's a mixture of random and player choice. Uh, the way you do it is you both players roll off. Whoever wins, um, that person picks any piece of terrain and puts it in the terrain pool. The next player puts it into the terrain pool. Then back to the original, uh, the first player will roll a random piece, and that piece will go in the terrain pool. And then finally, the, the second person will roll a random piece. So there will be one, uh, there'll be two uh, total player chosen pieces and two total random pieces. Um, and the reason you pick your pieces first is because when you roll on the random, you'll if there, let's say if I pick a weirwood and Luke, you pick a weirwood, when you're rolling on the random, you then would revert to the rule that you can't have more than two of a piece, which would make you re-roll. So that's why you pick pieces first um, and roll random afterwards. But there's always four pieces. It's not uh, all player choice, so you're not going to see weirwood, weirwood, uh, course pile, course pile every single game but you have some control. But the caveat there is that it all becomes, it all is put into one terrain pile. Then you roll off to see who places the first piece of terrain. So even though it's I picked a weirwood and Luke, you picked a corpse pile and then we rolled a random hedge and a random stakes, if I if you win that roll off, you could take my weirwood tree and throw it somewhere. But the point is there is a weirwood on the table um, and if I win or lose the dice off for table sides I could still to my advantage so the reason our group it does it this way is it it's kind of like the best of both worlds um, because a lot of people are not happy a lot of times with the player chosen for the reason that uh, mentioned before, it's just a bunch of weirwoods and course piles, it seems like, every single game. And then the opposite effect happens with random, and that's, you know, in all of our games, it's like 90% of the time it's destructible pieces. So we have, oh, great, three pieces, and they're all, you know, these thin pieces, like almost like there's no terrain on the whole board. Yeah. Uh, so this is our nice compromise to to really mix it up and allow players to um, to kind of experience a little bit of, a bit of both. So sorry I really for like that, that. Uh, long explanation. <laughs> no, that's really yeah, neat. I, would, uh, I actually you know, really like that approach to the terrain. I would uh, I, obviously it's a little too late to change anything for your event this Saturday, but I would definitely give it a try. Uh, anyone out there, and then you know, let me know uh, how it goes. We've uh, we've had a lot of success with it. Um, let's see. I mentioned that the number of qualified spots is to be determined, but my guess is it's at least two, if not four spots. Um, just waiting on an answer from uh, Adam. I know he was having trouble with an email issue. Um, let's see, prizes. Now, here's where, you know, uh, I can kind of flaunt our prize support a bit. Anyone considering uh, possibly coming uh, prize support is where it's at. Um, this, everything I'm about to mention is not even considering what CMON will give us a prize support because, again, that is part of the email I'm waiting to hear back from Adam. 
he did confirm that we would get prize support. He just did not mention what it was or, has, you know, anything like that. But um, we're going to give out prizes for top finishing places, uh, um, which is uh, between ice and fire product, trophies, and or plaques, uh, store credit, um, among other things. Uh, everyone will walk away with something. I have so much stuff in my cabinet to give away, and I'm sort of tired of it being there. So I'm looking to – I'm not going to just – I'm actively looking for a reason to give it out as prize support, if that makes sense. Like, I'm not just going to be like, everyone take everything so that I have nothing, but I'm going to try to find – Prizes for everything I can, best in factions, uh, you know, best general, best sportsman, best painted, um, you know, first place all the way through last place, um, getting like unit boxes and things like that. Uh, you know, you'll walk away with something good and not just like a small, you know, uh, alternate sculpt uh, conscript or uh, um, spearwife matriarch. You know, it, you're going to walk away with an actual product. Um, I think I have, uh, like, eight starter boxes and, like, 35 unit boxes. Uh, what was it, like, a box full of, uh, you know, just alternate sculpt uh, models and uh, banners and stuff, you know, some of the smaller stuff there. But I also have... Uh, uh, a set or two of neoprene uh, 2D uh, matte terrain, um, some cool uh, neoprene uh, tactics boards that I got uh, a bunch of extra ones from the super uh, qualifier. Uh, what else? Um, yeah, a, a ton of stuff. Uh, there's a couple more things in there that I'm blanking on, but the biggest thing, the probably arguably the best prize of the whole thing is going to be for best painted and it will be best painted army not just though we are looking into doing a best painted unit and hero or solo or something you know like the the individual model um but best painted army will get the $200 kickstarter uh Duncan Rhodes two thin coat paints uh, set. So that's like 60 paints. I think it's uh, 54 colors and six washes. Um, and that goes to best painted. Uh, and to kind of keep it fair, it's going to be uh, judged by everyone that attends, plus uh, any uh, um, employees at the shop. Now, um, you will not be able to vote for yourself. So if you decide you want to submit your army, um, you will not be able, you will still be, if you want to vote, you could vote. You just would have to vote against yourself. Though you can choose not to vote, if that makes sense. So you just can't vote for yourself. Um, I always thought that was weird. I always, you know, thought it was weird voting for myself whenever I put my army in a painting. And, but I guess, you know, if everyone else is doing it, but that's why, personally, I'm just going to admit that option. You don't have to vote against yourself, but you won't be able to vote for yourself. Um, but, yeah, so anyone, you know, looking to 
uh, walk away with $200 in paint. Uh, and from what I've been told, amazing paint. Uh, I think, come on, um, before we're uh, done with the episode, but he'll, I know he's tried them out and he absolutely loves them. Um, so definitely, uh, if you're looking for a new, uh, set of paints, see if, uh, if you can make the trip. Um, cause like I said, uh, there's going to be all that, that I mentioned does not even include whatever Simon plans to send us. Um, then we're going to also have, uh, potentially trophies and or plaques for, um, the top earners or the, the top placings. Uh, and yeah, so I'm, I'm super excited. I can't wait to, uh, you know, the, uh, how it turns out, uh, as far as rulings, we will be, uh, using whenever possible, we will use CMON rulings. Um, and in my opinion, anything in their articles and things like that is a CMON ruling. Um, you know, I know there's, you could argue whether or not it's official rulings, but like if you can show me that it's been ruled by Michael or Fabio somewhere, somehow be in like a, like a response in a thread or, uh, um, well, like an article, like an official article. And the one I'm bringing up in particular is the article by Brett, uh, about targeting. Um, we are going to be using those rules though wherever there isn't a ruling or clarity of a ruling by CMON themselves, we will be using the community made FAQ. Um, I'm all for whenever CMON has made a ruling, I will take that over anything else. But uh, rather than just kind of make up something on the fly or what I feel it should be, I'm just going to stick with whatever the community FAQ has uh, decided. Now I'm waiting to get my hands on that. I'm, in, uh, I'm talking with Carlo. Uh, hopefully he can send that over to me soon so I can read through it and kind of freshen up. But, uh, oh, I did not mention, if I do play uh, because there's an odd number, uh, I can't win anything. Uh, I'm going to completely omit myself from so, like, I'll still put in, obviously, like, my stuff in the stats, but uh, when it comes time to announce the winners and this and that, my name won't even be on there. I mean, obviously, you could go on stats and see it. There's no way to hide it there. But, you know, for all intents and purposes, um, I am just a filler spot to avoid a buy from happening. Um, with that said, I also plan to bring a tougher army but not my top stuff so i'm not going to give away um you know not going to be just a giveaway win but i'm also you know not looking to take first place at you know my own event that would look uh look kind of bad <laughs> uh so but i definitely will want my opponents to definitely earn their wins um so uh any uh, questions in that big old rambling uh, that came up for you, uh, Luke? Yeah, I think that sounds awesome. I, I really love the way that you're doing the entry fee at the $15 of, of just product from the store gets you entry into the tournament. I mean, 
That's awesome. That's a heck of a deal. And then, man, when when is the tournament again? Because the prizes sound fantastic. Um, 26. So have a full month before uh, before everything uh, kind of kicks off. Nice. August 26th, um, and then what, what time does it start? Let's see. Uh, I have the details right here. So it, the shop opens at 10. I'm hoping come in about 9.30, or even I'll go the night before to set up. Uh, registration is 10 to 10.15. Round one will start at 10.45. Uh, and lunch will be after round one, um, and then we'll play each round uh, pretty much back-to-back. Uh, I'm going to try to hammer it out because I know, especially for our locals, I don't know about yours, uh, you know, five rounds is a lot, and there's yeah. a decent chance that it will be five rounds. So, uh, you know, five rounds in one day can be a lot, but um, I think if we just hammer them out, we're not lingering for too long to – uh, you know, waste time essentially. Um, it'll it'll go by you. You know, it. My hopes is that the four to five game uh, difference won't feel too too different if if it's a smooth transition from round to round. That's awesome. And he said, "Is this not going to be on? It's not going to be on stats. Is that right?" Uh, it will actually. Um, it uh, you can find it under Chicago's Knights of Summer Regional U.S. National Qualifier Event. Um, has uh, a nifty little uh, um, ice and fire uh, throne image with uh, just says Chicago's National Qualifier Event, sponsored by Small Council Radio. Um, you know. All these uh, prizes that are being given out is, uh, um, you know, basically being given by myself, but through kind of, you know, through small small council radio. Um, keep in mind, if we have all 24 spots uh, fill up, that $10 store credit um, that gets put into the pool means that we'll have at least $240 you know, assuming all 24 spots, um, into the prize pool uh, for store credit. And that store credit, uh, you know, it, uh, if anyone was maybe confused about it, would be um, for anything in the shop. You do not have to buy just uh, Ice and Fire um, product. Um, and though the store credit would be distributed towards the top placings, so like first, second, third, uh, and that would the breakdown. Uh, to be honest, it will be determined on, or it will be dependent on attendance. And I'll probably do it the day of. I'll probably be like, okay, how many do we have? Okay, what would be appropriate? Uh, I like to kind of spread it out, but not too much. I really, I don't like top heavy. Where like, oh, first got everything, but I do want first to feel like, okay, I I got a good chunk of it. Um, now, also keep in mind, anyone who has not been to uh, our to my shop, uh, Games Plus in Mount Prospect, is an amazing store. They have 
so much product of all different types of games. They've been around forever. Uh, let me just Google them right now. Let's see. Games Plus. Um, see if it says when they opened up. Um, since 1982. Wow. Uh, so, so for over 40 years. Um, they have just so much product of all different types of games that they've accumulated. Um, just imagine just all these like obscure older games that, you know, you're like, man, I've never even seen those before. You know, they, they have it, you know, you name it, they pretty much have it. Um, you know, they fly through product. They, you know, they fly through stuff so quickly, like it's like every single week on Facebook they'll take pictures of new releases, almost as if, and it's released, they buy it. They may only buy one copy or two or three. Like, you know, they're not like shoving tons of product of every single game in existence, but they buy like one or two of like what seems like every game to ever exist and then, you know, if it if it gets bought, they just they might restock it if it's popular, or you just ask them to order it. But um, I mean, they have so many pictures on Facebook. You definitely go take a look there. Um, I've mentioned this before, but this is the same shop that uh, they do a buy uh, a buy annual um, uh, auction, a gaming auction, and it's so popular, and so many people come from all over that it lasts for four days. That is how much product they have to do. And and the awesome thing about it is, you know, I think it, I think it's awesome. You know, so the auction, they don't take a cut of your money. They just give you store credit straight up. If your item sold for $100, they give you $100 store credit. So both you and the shop wins. You win the sense that you got the full amount of what you were asking for. Now, granted, you're going to have to use it to buy something in their shop, and they win because, obviously, if you're using that exact amount of money to buy something in their shop, they're making a profit. Um, so uh, they do it by by uh, by annual. And this year and I think last year, it was so popular that they had to restrict what you could even put in the auction because they just didn't have the time of day to do even after four days of auction. Um, that's how many, that's how popular and that's how many people, and they break it up each day by type of uh, like gaming systems, so like, or like type of games. So like one day is just board games. Uh, the next day is like historical um, figures and uh, stuff like that, like card games, TCGs, one day is like nothing but RPG, and then one day is like uh, like everything that's non-historical, uh, like miniatures, you know, pretty much everything else. Uh, but it's awesome. Um, again, awesome. anyone that uh, is able to make the trip, I highly suggest uh, suggest coming by. And amazing food. Um, this is a little uh, un, uh, a little secret I'll, I'll let everyone in on. You know how everyone always talks up the Chicago pizza or the Chicago hot dog. No offense to Chicago. Their food is that amazing. 
but the real secret is the places surrounding Chicago, in my opinion, have way better food. Uh, and so people come into Chicago all the time, like, i got to have this place and this place because they're the places that are, like, popular. You know, you, you hear about them and you got to have them. But it's those, like, small private-owned businesses in the outskirts, like, around Chicagoland area that uh, that really have, in my opinion, like, the number one food. So, um, so definitely keep that in mind. Um, August 26th be awesome to see all you guys there um you know i know uh luke is like all right now how do i go to this uh to this event? Yeah, i'm, I'm <laughs> giving one direction right now <laughs> yeah so let me also ask you dave uh so what's the thought process behind taking out uh winds of winter and feast for crows um so let's see so um, what was the other one I took out? Was that just the Storm of Swords? Did I say? Oh uh, yeah, yes. Okay. Um. So, what did I have in mind? <laughs> there was a reason <laughs> why I. So I'm gonna be honest. I took out Winds of Winter because I believe it to be an unfair mission for tournaments. That's just straight up. That's my opinion on Winds of Winter. Now, Feast for Crows um, is something that I've heard a lot of uh, pushback about um, about uh, it as a mission for tournaments. And I, there was a reason why I wanted there to be one more, why I chose three in particular. That left seven missions. Um, I think that was probably just because if there's five rounds... Um, that means only two of the remaining seven missions wouldn't be played. So it was just enough um, mystery or, you know, unknown that you would have to plan for all of it, but not so widely unknown. Like, you know, if we play five rounds, then, okay, which two, you know, do I not have to plan for? But Feast for Crows, I've heard a lot of, uh, you know, personally, I like all the missions <clears throat> except for Winds of Winter. Uh, if we're competitive. I like Feast for Crows. Uh, I know a very unpopular one uh, by a lot of people is uh, Here We Stand. Um, personally, I love that mission. Um, I, Especially with there being no objectives, uh, I actually find that mission to go by quicker than other missions. And that seems to be like a lot of people's number one uh, complaint is that somehow seeing which quadrant everything is in um, makes the game take longer, but I've never experienced that. We play that mission all the time, um, casually uh, and at our local um, tournaments. So that's why that one is left in there. But yeah, um, Winds of Winter, I um, or wait, hang on. Maybe I might have to edit this. Uh, Were you thinking Dark Winds Queen? of Winter is which Yes, I'm thinking Darkwing's Dark Word, so I will have to edit that. I'll actually edit that right here, right now. Yeah, so Darkwing is the one in. where the two missions come in, and then and then you know you can use an NCU or Commander's action to cycle one out and bring a bring a reserve one in, and then Winds yep. Winter is the one where you you fill the hand. Um, and personally, I I can't stand Darkwing's Dark Words uh, in a competitive 
event because I think you can really end up getting kind of screwed over uh, just by the way that the missions sort of uh, come out in the order they come out. Um, it kind of happened to me at the first round of Adepticon, actually. <laughs> like, I, uh, I got behind, and, and then I, because of the way that the missions kept coming out and the order that they came out, um, I was always on the back foot trying to you know, use NCUs or use my commander to change them. And my opponent was, was pretty much just fine with everything, just the way it was coming out. I mean, they weren't having to spend any additional resources to change missions because uh, just the order in which they came out, it, it always benefited them. You know, it would, it would drop in the take a tactic zone or take swords or horses, you know, right as soon as I was the first player. And then the next round, those would rotate out and it would come in, you know, stuff that would benefit my opponent. And it was just like I was always being dealt the tougher mission hand uh, on the rounds when I went first. And I, I'm not a big fan of Darkwing's Dark Birds. Yeah, I mean, I'm completely fine with Darkwing's Dark Words and casual play. I have no problem with the mission. It's not like... It's not like I think that the mission is badly designed. I think it's a cool concept. I just think in a tournament setting, uh, just like you were describing, situations like that happen. Uh, Winds of Winter, I am completely fine with because uh, you have a lot more control over that mission because you get to pick which ones are going to apply to you and or your opponent. Um, So the reason that I mixed them up to not because I don't play the two missions. It's because before the missions were all changed around, I actually used to like the original Dark Wings, Dark Words, and I hated the original Winds of Winter. Uh, but then gotcha. when they when they revamped both missions, it reversed them. So that's why, like, occasionally I'll get the two mixed up, because I'm still thinking back to, like, 1.6 or whenever it was that the original uh, missions were. That makes sense. But, and, I, and I agree with you, too, um, on Feast for Crows. I think the corpse piles are a little, are another, you know, it benefits one side more than the other. Uh, well, and, like, uh, any anyone that has, like, a chaff unit, uh, you could say free folk is the, probably the common one, but uh, you could even say, like, a horde-type Greyjoy army. You... Yeah, you throw the unit at them. Oh, you kill them. Okay, now thank you for the um, objective that I'm going to get every round from here on out. <laughs> um, yeah, and with, with Marcelin, I've, I've done it with Marcelin where I brought in a unit of freedmen in my deployment zone and uh, intentionally, you know, just walked away from them, gotten out of short range from them, uh, let them die <laughs> as an infantry unit to spawn a corpse pile, uh, and then, you know, just had two right there in the back on my side, uh, easy to sit on. Yeah. So, um, I will, uh, I will put this out there. Um, Winds of Winter is an option, uh, that could be one of the five missions, but I will tell you this, that if it is one of the five missions, I guarantee you, I will purposely make it to where it is not the fifth round, 
that is a pet peeve of mine. Uh, the mm-hmm. final round in which undefeateds are playing against each other should not be dealing with secret mission cards. Um, they should just be going at it in a good old traditional, you know, either Game of Thrones, Fire and Blood, you know, something, you know, something that, I don't know, that's just a personal feeling about it. Um, so uh, hopefully that doesn't uh, ruffle anyone's feathers that I'm not going to let Winds of Winter be round five. <laughs> Alrighty. So is uh I'm not sure if Brett's gonna be able to join us or not, but do you want to get into uh any of the, the new releases that we've seen teased that are coming up? Yeah, um so I know we talked about um like that we did on the show, uh all the Bolton stuff. Justin came on for that show, it was an awesome show. Uh, and then we meant to kind of go over some of the newer stuff after that. We'll just kind of reference that stuff because, uh, you know, we're already an hour into the show. We won't have time for everything if we go through everything bit by bit. But sure. um, just to kind of recap on the older stuff, um, like the what's stuff here. Um The, like the Brassian Halberdiers, Neutral Hero Box 3, Dark Star Retinue, uh, Umber Ravagers, Giant Spear Throwers, and I think uh, Gold Cloaks. But uh, what are your thoughts, like, uh, overall for seeing all this stuff? I think it's exciting. I think everybody's getting a little bit of something uh, to be excited about. And, I mean, as a Stark player, I'm I'm over the moon for the Umber Cavalry, someone who plays Great John Commander a lot. I'm, I'm very curious to see what their rules look like, especially having that Umber keyword and how it's going to interact with Great John's cards. Um, and, and Neutral Heroes 3. I mean, anytime that comes out, I mean, that's, that's affecting pretty much every fan that's um, I've got the names of the, the characters who are coming in that, the seven characters. You've got Shay, the Widower, Jockin, Arya Stark, Sandor Clegane, Rorge, and Biter. And, I mean, these are just – these are great characters to add to the game. I, I had expected maybe some phrase uh, to be in Neutral Heroes 3, but this is a great lineup. Uh, and seeing an alternate sculpt for Arya and Sandor is – is pretty exciting too. It looks like I'm not sure if there's two commanders or one commander uh, from this new neutrals box. It looks like four, just four tactics cards. If I'm reading this blurry image correctly, so uh, that can't be four. There's got to be six. So six, I'm, I'm assuming maybe the Witterer or Jockin is a commander. Did I lose you, Dave? I think you might be on mute. Oh, yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> I said, yeah, I can't wait for uh, for pretty much all the neutral stuff. 
uh, neutrals just add so much to the game, you know, when you can apply it to almost every faction. Uh, the thing I'm looking forward to a lot is uh, the Umber Ravagers. So here's my my guess. I'm hoping uh, when they get revealed uh, that uh, maybe I'm right, but I'm going to take a wild guess and say that they have Vicious. Why do I say that? Because the guy riding the horse looks like an Umber Champion, and Umber Champions give Insight, which gives Vicious. So just a weird little uh, um, guess I have there. So we'll see if uh, that turns out to be true, which would be interesting because... If I'm not mistaken, outside of Insight from the Umber Champion, nothing else in Starks has Vicious. Granted, they do have a, a card that can give it uh, for one attack, but uh, nothing else like has it innately. Um, but uh, I think yeah, that'll I think be interesting because... Because, you know, Starks don't really have a lot of panic-oriented stuff. So, um, but I've always wanted to try that outlet, but it just it doesn't work well. So, like, for example, you know, throwing Bruce Commander in Starks because he's got Intimidating Presence and he's Bolton, but then you got to supplement so many Boltons in order to even get, like, the vicious and panicky stuff in there. It almost feels like it's not worth the, you know, the amount of effort you have to put into it. But you start adding, you know, like the if let's say these Umber uh, Ravagers have Vicious, I think it opens a lot of a lot of options. Yeah, I'm curious too. Um, I mean, I'm hoping that they have Sundering, uh, just just to have something else that's in Starks that's native Sundering other than Great Axes. Um, and I'm curious what point slot they'll fit because Starks have Tully Cav as their kind of heavy cab, eight-point cavalry choice, and then they've got the Stark Outriders as their six-point cavalry choice. I'm wondering if these guys are going to fit in maybe in the middle as a seven-point kind of, kind of mid-range cavalry. Um, I don't know. I can see I can see him being a little bit faster than Tully Cav, but maybe not as obviously not as armored. So maybe like a four up, five up armor, uh, but maybe still a six move. Something something similar to how the Clegane Brigands were. Uh, I know they dropped to six points before, but um, something that with a similar profile to the Brigands, maybe with better morale. They're an umber umber unit, um, and maybe just little more hitting power so that they fit into that seven point range to kind of be a choice between them and hedge knights. Here, uh, here's my prediction. We're going to have, it's going to be a, a five up morale. It's going to be a five inch movement. Um, dice will probably be just like the average seven, four, or maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe they'll have, like high dice like Umber do and maybe they'll be like a um a seven five or an eight five. Uh but here's uh here's where I think uh it'll be interesting. And I'm getting this idea kind of from hedge knights. So I'm going to guess that they have critical blow automatically 
and if you have the horses, you get, like, vicious, and if you have the swords, you get thundering. So if you have both zones, you could have vicious, thundering, critical blow. Oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's a little too good. I don't know. Um, for seven points, because uh, it is two zones that uh, Starks already want. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, with the morale being a five, you know, and all that might be too good. Um, but that's just a small little prediction. Um, we'll see. Maybe that, maybe it's all of that, like eight dice, five dice for the ranks. And then maybe they are eight points or something. I don't know, but I'm excited. Uh, I love Umber. I do too. And I think that would be pretty comparable to like Ranger Vanguard, um, who have a four up, five up, seven points. Um, maybe I think they have like a seven five attack profile. Um, and I mean, I know they have outflank, but but having something like crit blow or sundering or vicious, just native on your attack, uh, is going to be great. Of course, Starks have cards for sundering. They have cards for for vicious, um, and they've got you know Liana NCU to give them crit blow. But it's so great when you already have it natively. Um, one of the great things about yep. Holy Cap is just having that sundering on every attack. So if these guys were the vicious version of the Tully Cap, um, that's exciting too. Um, I, hope, I hope they're the vicious version at seven points, just so that they're not filling the same role as Flayed Men. Um, but maybe they'll be a little bit faster than Flayed Men. I do, yep. I do think there will be some... And... <laughs> I hope. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. I, I mean... Um... I would not put it past them being speed six. Uh, then again, you know, um, the great axes are only speed five, so they're not like mm-hmm. super speedy. Um, and it's kind of hard to tell with this guy on the horse. He almost is almost like right in between a great axe and a berserker. You know, what I mean? you know, he's obviously, yeah. you know, armored kind of somewhere in between. And it's funny. I think. Uh, Go back here. The guy he's like swinging his, no, not the guy he's swinging his axe at, but the one all the way in the corner almost looks like identical to the Stony Shore Pillager. <laughs> Pretty <does>. funny. <laughs> he's the same sculpt. Anyways, uh, <laughs> I'm excited so, for the giant spear throwers too. Um, maybe, maybe the first. Uh, Legit long range unit for free folk? Possibly. I mean, I would hope they could throw that spear that far. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> I was hoping, to be honest, I didn't even see the name until uh, after they, you know, I didn't see the name of the unit right away. I saw the models. I was just hoping these guys were like, uh, you know, I don't know, some sort of a spear unit, but not spear throwing unit. <laughs> oh, like okay, so how would how would you imagine a spear uh solo giant functioning? Like Yeah, I don't it it would charge. be interesting if Yeah, it like a set for charge, um 
and what was it? I had like an idea for it back before I knew that they were throwing like a throwing spear. But uh, cool if they had like a uh, uh, like a monster tray, like or a monster. Um, so imagine a, a stone thrower or a scorpion or a um, Harakar, that tray, the big rectangle one. Mm-hmm. Now imagine that it's not, uh, you know, long ways, uh, like depth, but imagine that it's um, wide. And now you have two giants on that one tray that move together as like a unit. Oh, that'd be cool. Like so, the front rank of a cavalry unit, basically. So it's still technically a one rank, yeah. you know, because they're side by side. But, you know, you, you could still represent the um, dice going down based on losing one giant of the tray. Um, you know, so, I don't know. Interesting little uh, thing. But... Um, I'm not sure how much I care for the way the guy is holding the spear, the 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 male. Um, <laughs> leisurely. It seems a little awkward. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's the looking like it's like almost broken. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. But I've also, you know, I don't see. I mean, this is kind of the problem, like the um, Stark Bowman or the Lannister Crossbowman. I don't see any other spears. So once he throws the spear, what does he do? Um, <laughs> he doesn't even have like another weapon, like a like a knife or club. So that like visual always bothered me when like you have this unit that's supposed to throw their weapon, but they have no backup weapon. Like, oh man, I really should have thought this through a little better. (laughs) I took out one guy, but now 20 are charging me. (laughs) If you you get one and paint him up, you'll need to put some extra spears on his base. Yeah, I'll put them like as if they're like jammed into the ground, as if like he's ready to just pick it up and throw another instead of like in a quiver. He just kind of stands still and picks them up out of the ground and chucks them <laughs> as more free folk are like, you know, shaving more like trees and then sticking them in the ground for them. You yeah, And while we're talking about that, so the awkwardness of like the poses and stuff like that, I was thinking when, when I first saw the Baratheon halberdiers that they've got these halberds and they've got shields. And typically a halberd is like a two-handed weapon. Mm-hmm. But they're they're like holding it with one hand and the shield at the same time. Even the ones who so, are like laying it over their shield look like it's just too unwieldy. So this is the first time I've looked at them like in like up close because I've had the picture for a while. I think it would make a lot more sense if they had a bigger shield, like a more of like a kite shield, like a power um, shield. Yes, like a tower shield or kite shield, I think. Either one would be fine. And then 
and they could even have little like slits in the side of the shield where they rest the spear in like a little notch that you know mm-hmm. they can slide the spear into that holds the weight of it for them um and this would uh i think make a lot more sense um like you're saying wieldly just seems unwieldy to um like have these long you know heavy halberdiers you know it's or halberds um you know it, spears are different spears are definitely nowhere near as heavy or top heavy uh but otherwise without like the the practicalness of it um i think they look awesome um, they look sick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're probably among one of my new favorite units in the game. Probably not my favorite, but up there. Like it's, I really like, you know. And the shields give me that uh, uh, Zelda uh, Hyrule shield vibe. Yeah. Um, so I do like that about the shield. Um, but I think for being able, you know, so this kind of a shield, personally, it would seem awkward if, like, they end up having, like, set for charge. Because this just does not seem like a, a good combination for doing that. You know, you're, like you were saying, even resting the halberdier on the shield really lets you, like, set yourself for a charge well, you know, because unless your, you know, weapon is so insanely sharp, if you're not, like, putting enough power in or enough strength into that weapon, you know, it's just going to get pushed out of your hand. So that's why, like, I love the new sculpts for the Lannister Halberdiers where the, like, front row guys are, like, digging, yeah. you know, into the ground. Um so we'll see. I think personally these guys are going to be, they're not going to have set for charge. They're going to have something, I don't know. I don't know what they'll have because uh, coordinated assault wouldn't make much sense since the High Garden pikemen already have that. But we'll see. Yeah, maybe, uh, I don't even know. Because hold the line, you've already got the, you got the warden. Baratheon Warden uh, attachment that has hold the line. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe stand your ground like that Brendan Tully commander ability. Um, but I'm sure they'll have Sundering. That seems like they're at least keeping that keyword with the weapon type uh, for Halbert. I would imagine. Yeah, more than likely. I mean, I could definitely see these guys just be Lannister halberdiers, but six points and like a three of armor, you know. Um, six points, a three of armor, and uh, armor unit. I think halberdiers at at five points are steel, like the Lannister halberdiers at five points are yeah. like steel. So. I could easily see the just these guys being justified at six points, the exact stats of the Lannister Halberdiers, but a three-up armor. Yeah, and if they have the move five as well as the Halberdiers, the Lannister Halberdiers, yep. 
points. They'll be, I, I think they'll be huge for Baratheons. Um, just to have a solid five move infantry unit with a good yeah. keyword. Well, that's, I think, the big thing. I like guess the, I think that the other, be the other justification for saying these guys would be fair at six points if they're just Lannister halberdiers with a three up armor because Generally, if you're going to have that three-up save, you're thinking, okay, a four-move. But having mm-hmm. that five-move, uh, five move, you know, I think uh, you kind of have to pay for that. Let's see. So, but moving on, um, if we can, let's see. Let's see how well we can get through these new release, or leaks, I guess you can call them, uh, for the Martell Hero Box 2. So... Uh, I'm just going to give my overall thoughts uh, first. I think nothing in this box is bad. Uh, then again, I wouldn't say anything in here is like the new hot stuff for Martells. Um, nothing in here is going to drastically change anything Martells are already doing at the top competitive level. Like personally, you know, out of my two top Martell lists that I might or might not bring to Nationals. I don't think there's a single thing in here that I would even run outside of maybe DNCUs. And even then, I I would really have to get a lot of playing, like playtesting with them in before I would even consider Mm -hmm. it. And there's an opportunity uh, cost with those those NCUs. You know, who who do you pull out to put one of these two in? Even though these are two good NCUs, already had some great NCUs, so it's hard to replace those. Yep. Um, first, I want to talk about the attachments, because I think we could probably fly through these ones a bit mm-hmm. quicker. Um, so we got uh, uh, Edric Dane, uh, Lord of, the, of Starfall. Uh, from what I can, uh, from what I've gathered, all five of these attachments are one point. Two of them are uh, do ignore attachment restrictions, um, which I, you know, I know uh, uh, the outflank one does. Which was the other one? Was it Edric Dane? T. He... Yes, he ignores the usual attachment restrictions, and so does Quentin. Okay, it's one point attachment for outflank. Awesome. So Edric Dane has the true conviction. Uh, uh, same thing the Baratheons have, but for a Martell unit, each time it uh, attacks an enemy, more re- remaining ranks may reroll any attack dice, and it has Dauntless. One point, uh, I think it's fine. Um, I have no real complaints. I think it's a fair one point. It's not like some auto-include one point like Asha, uh, you Rickles. know, old Asha attachment. Yeah. Um, but I think uh, true conviction doesn't happen that often. So really it's just kind of a um, like a plus icing on the cake. Yep, I agree. I think if you, if you are trying to build around it, if you've got some sort of morale sort of build where you can trigger your own morale tests, uh, maybe you give them a look at one point. But otherwise... Um, yeah, I mean, he's fair. He's fair at one point. Um, as is Quentin with outflank. Um, I think if it's 
It's kind of reminds me of Jarl for free folk, although Martel's probably don't have the point efficiency that free folk do to bring, you know, the extra one to pay the extra one point. They don't have units that have, um, uh, what's it called to get a uh, discount on your attachments. Well, does Quentin Adaptive. have to be in a um, Martel unit? Uh, no. Oh, so you could put them in uh, Stormcrow Mercenaries and outflank them. Bastards Girls. Yeah, Bastards Girls. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking uh, Reaver Captains are the same thing. Granted, Reaver Captains are generic, so you can run as many as you want, but they have to be in a Greyjoy unit. So, like, right now, the only thing you can out, the uh, only thing that can outflank Bastard's Girls is Davos Commander, but Davos Commander is definitely on the lower end of the totem pole for strength for uh, commanders. But, Quentin Martell, if he, I can't see the backs of the cards, unfortunately. Um, I haven't found those yet, but, uh, yeah, if he has no restriction to being in a Martell unit, uh, him and Bastard's Girls, I mean, could be a nightmare for a lot of people uh, when you combined it with a super strong commander like all, uh, Harmon Uller. Um, uh, I think people greatly underestimate Bastard's Girls as it is, but when you have one looking at your rear that can shoot, then charge you, uh <laughs> is uh, a lot scarier. Yeah, that's nasty. <laughs> yeah, well, especially if you pop up and the swords is available, they can take the swords, shoot you, then charge you, both while being in the, your rear, and then they still haven't activated. You do something, and then you're probably dead, if you weren't already dead to begin with. So... um all right, let's see. Ares, Oakheart, um, just a copy-paste pretty much from the Lannisters, Protection of the Crown. Mm -hmm. uh, while you control the crown, each time a unit is, uh, this unit is attacked, it may reroll defense dice. Um, so I think it's not really worth it. Uh, I, I think you, there's a lot more um, value in him in the Lannister faction rather than this ability in Martell's. I agree, because they've got Joffrey in CU, and they've got uh, better armor. I mean, usually with your Martell's, you're, you're looking at fours and fives on your armor save. Uh, it's just not a lot of value for rerolling the defense dice. Yeah, so I still think it's worth the one point. Uh, I It's not bad. It's just you're really going to have to... Uh, like you're going to have to develop like a, a different play style with some of these attachments. Um, you know, you're going to have to favor the crown a bit more. Uh, you're going to have to really find where Ares O'Cart fits in uh, at that one point. I still think uh, rerolling defense dice is strong. You know, if you can prioritize that crown, um, I think he could definitely be worth this one point. It's just not going to be easy. Um, you're really going to have to kind of work towards it, which kind of goes to, you know, say for itself. But uh, mm -hmm. let's see. Then we have Gerald Dane, uh, Knight of the High uh, Hermitage. Yeah. Uh, he has um, the Order Insight 
and the ability Furious Charge. So um, an interesting combo of abilities. Um, for one point, definitely fair. Uh, or I would even say really strong for one point. Um, they just they don't mesh really well with each other when you have the Vicious. I mean, I guess you can Vulnerable to make sure you get that one wound through so that the Vicious is doing something. Um, but it's not like, you know, Thundering plus Vulnerable or Vicious plus Panicked. Um, overall, uh, a strong attachment. Again, it, it's... It's not going to be something you're going to want to be like, oh, I need to run this, like, all the time, every list. Yeah, I'll, I'll be interested to see if maybe he goes well in, like, the Dark Star's retinue or something. Um, but I, I'm, try, I'm trying to think of a Martell infantry unit who would benefit from Insight and Furious Charge. Um, maybe dervishes. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, having yeah. if your opponent hasn't activated yet, you um charge in, make them vulnerable, and now you have uh critical blow, precision, vicious, and highest attack die. Granted, their attack dice don't degrade that bad. I think they're seven six four, but still, um. It's something. Uh, you, you're you tacking on a lot of keywords and tokens because they have their elusive escape. They're mm-hmm. going to be passing out weekends, furious charge to vulnerable. I know I'm kind of talking myself into that being like, until we see the retinue, uh, I think is he's going to be perfect for dervishes because uh, you're going to really be able to get that furious charge off over and over again if they're if you're escaping with uh, swift retreat. Yeah, there might be something there. That's a good shout out. Uh, and then lastly, the one I was, I'm kind of the more most excited about talking about is Damon Sand. He has the or he's one point that he has just the one order, but it's order unsuspecting charge. When a friendly unit in long range activates, that unit may not be the target of enemy orders or tactics cards this turn. It must perform a charge as its action this turn. Now, I did listen to um, Turning Grounds, and they do make some great points uh, about, like, um, the legality of when it says it must perform a charge, you know, is that implying that it has to be legal? You know, if you're in combat, can you then choose to do nothing because you had to choose charge, but you can't do charge, but you have to do charge, so therefore you do nothing, which goes against the rule that says you have to attack or retreat? Um, there's definitely a lot of questions that do pop up, but assuming, uh, I th- like, uh, it's a tough uh, tough spot because, you know, trying to say intent is not a great way to go about things, but when no other things are apparent until they come out with, like, an FAQ or Beretta or whatever, based on the fact that they made a whole rule on that you have to attack or retreat, would be that, you know, it must perform a charge action if possible. And then 
you know, so if you can't, then you just ignore that part. Um, so, like, you would either attack or retreat. But, um, I don't know, what's your take on, on, like, how that whole debacle goes? Yeah, I had to reread it about five or six times to just make sure I'm completely understanding it. It's a little bit similar to like winter is coming, right? So friendly unit and long range activates, uh, and then you pop this order, and unit may not be the target of enemy orders or tactics cards, which is kind of the opposite of winter is coming in that the yep. uh, it's the defender that you're charging that doesn't get to be the target of the orders or cards. But in this case, it's, it's the unit that's charging can't be the target of enemy orders or tax cards. So I guess I guess it's going to include things like Lannister supremacy, um, set for charge, if it targets. Well, set for charge, I don't think targets. It doesn't, does it? It would be targeting. Yeah, it only targets yeah. the... <laughs> so, um, I if I'm not mistaken, targeting really... is a little goofy. I'd have to... But then it also comes down to, because I know some people don't view the CMON article that Brett wrote as, like, legit. I do, um, because, I mean, it's literally on CMON's website, and they approve the article and has their logo and everything. So I count it as legit, but other people don't. And so then you got to ask yourself, what is targeting? What is the technical, you know? There's, but with all that aside the idea of this ability because one thing you can do with him uh, I know a lot of people uh, probably have not tried it yet I highly suggest it if you haven't run Stormcrow archers in Martells I mean they don't have a long range unit right now but Stormcrow archers especially if you're running like Doran NCU and you've opened up a sixth lot and you run and you're running three NCUs you can really get a lot of, uh, uh, or, sorry, not Dorn, um, but just three NCUs in general. If you can get two or, who knows, even three of the abilities that Stormcrow Archers have, um, you can really, you know, make them worth their points. And then if you have Damon Sand in their unit, um, it's when a friendly unit in long range activates, so it's within long of your Stormcrow archers. You could just have them sitting back waiting to use this ability when you need it, almost as like a free tactics card in your hand. Granted, it's like you were saying the opposite of um, uh, in the sense of what it, uh, it is triggering uh, or working against, um, but I think something like that could be invaluable depending on the way the meta shifts to what you're seeing. If, like, you can go through each unit, each attachment, faction, and figure out what orders and or tactics cards he's going to help prevent, I think he could potentially be, uh, maybe not an auto-include, but you could definitely see him in one of the two lists taking to a big tournament. Um because he could be invaluable uh, with turning off key things uh, whenever you need it. Yeah, I'll be interested to see what people do with him. I, I don't know if he's worth the one point or not. 
as someone who would be playing against the Martell player, I don't think it would. Uh, it certainly wouldn't scare me uh, as much as it would if, like, this was if this was the charge version of like Overwatch. <laughs> like, if an enemy unit in long range like into the maneuver or something like that, and you got to make a charge on them, uh, I think that would be a little bit more interesting as like an unsuspecting charge. Uh, but I'll have to, I, I don't know. Maybe I'll have to see how it plays on the tabletop. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. So we can go into uh, the NCUs. So we got a four-pointer and a five-pointer. Uh, first, we'll talk about the five-pointer, Ariane, uh, Ariane, how do you say it? I think uh, Ariana, so the guy who but... does the audio books, I think he says Ariane. <laughs> Ariane? Ariane? Anyways, um, uh, she has the influence effect. Each time uh, she influences a unit, choose one. When influencing an enemy unit, attachments on that unit loses all abilities. Or, while influencing an enemy unit, they cannot be the target of friendly orders. So, important thing to note um, is that orders always target themselves. So, essentially, she just shuts off all orders. Like, there is no order that doesn't target the unit. Um, And so, there... So, she has five points. Uh, I'll let you kind of take this one. What are you? What are your thoughts? I think she's really good. I think I think just looking at this NCU in a vacuum for how many points she costs, she is a good NCU. Uh, having the two options, I think you'll always have something that you're going to want to do, either to shut off an attachment uh, ability. I mean, every commander. Um, basically has an attachment, so you know that there's always going to be at least one enemy attachment that you could turn the abilities off for. Uh, some of them are better than others. Uh, and, and then influencing enemy unit and taking out their their orders completely. I mean, that something like that will shut, shut off, like, unsullied pikemen completely. Uh, they, they basically would be have, like, a blank unit card at that point. Um, this is great. Uh, as someone who plays great, John... <laughs> A commander with two two orders that I like to use very often. This, you know, this this worries me. <laughs> uh, but um, I don't know that she beats out uh, Oberon NCU, Alaria NCU, and, and maybe not even Peter um, for that third spot. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I think uh, I agree that she has so much potential. Um, I think the five-point price tag is where it gets me, and not because she's not worth five points. It's when you start getting into five, six points. That's when my uh, personally, I just that's when I start to lose any idea of running three NCUs. Uh, for me, like it's hard enough to run three NCUs sometimes. That like usually my limit is the twelve points that it takes to get the three NCUs. So if I'm looking at a five-pointer. I'm almost reconstructing my whole idea of the list into a two NCU list. Um, then I have to ask myself, not only is it that third NCU slot, it's okay, now which one do I take? Oberyn uh, or Ilara or Littlefinger or Doran? Um, 
So I definitely want to try her a lot because, you know, certain um, there's just certain matchups where the attachments are, like, key to their strategy and or their orders. Um, uh, like, what unit would it, was it? That, you know, you could put her on um, even just Harmon in uh, Spearman, and now you're shutting off uh, Supply 8. Like, you could just do the shut-off orders. You don't even care to shut off uh, Attachment because, you know, you, you say, okay, keep your Iron Resolve. I'm going to shut off orders, and now um, uh, are shutting off Supply 8, um, uh Swift reposition, I think it's called, or tactical reposition, and uh, also shutting off set for charge. So you're shutting off three orders, and there's definitely some other um, units that are like that, where they have two or three orders on them. Um, Unsullied pikemen uh, can shut off uh, shield wall and set for charge. You throw it on uh, hunters or... Uh, Dithraki veterans to shut off the um, uh, quick fire. what's that ability? Quick yep, uh, quick fire, which yeah. is a pain in the butt. Um, things like that. Uh, there's just so she's so useful. Um, into I think almost every matchup except for one, <laughs> and that is Greyjoy's. Anyone who has played as Greyjoys, you could probably say this, uh, you know, in the sense of playing against them, but uh, I think more so you're a little more um, aware of it when you play as them. They have almost no orders at all in the whole faction. Like, I think the only order out of, like, all of their units, I think there's, like, one order on the Trappers and there's one order on the... Um, uh, what are they called? The Black Tide Chosen or something like that. I just know that because the way I play my units, I always put the orders on the unit to start with because my orders, if you flip them over, they say activated. That way I can actively show myself and my opponent that the order has been used um, and also be consciously aware that they even have an order. And every time I play my Greyjoys is just like, oh, great, I have one order across the entire army. Um, so, I mean, granted, you could shut off attachments, but a lot of times, uh, I mean, Greyjoys, in order to really uh, squeak in those extra units, I mean, you're maybe only looking at the commander, maybe one other one-point attachment. So, other than Greyjoys, I think she she's going to be amazing. Yeah, I did not actually know that she was five points. Um, I don't have the back of her card, but that that definitely does sour it a little bit for me. Uh, I thought she was <laughs> in the four-point range competing with some of the others, but not five points. And compared to, is it Tyene, Sand? Um, I don't know. It's a hard sell. Like you said, you, you've kind of got to change your Tyene, wrist around a little Tyco. bit. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, people kind of forget Tycho is a thing sometimes, but Tycho is still awesome at five points. It's just sometimes right. finding that extra point 
to put into if you're already running three NCUs. Uh, all right, next up, though, we have the four-point NCU, which is Ares Okart. Um, he has unfaltering politics once per game. During the cleanup phase, you may keep him on the tactics board. He does not activate next round. If Ares Okart begins any round on the tactics board, target one enemy combat unit, they become weakened. Uh, so this is going to be key for your uh, cards like Unbound and Bent and Broken, Rising Temperatures, where if you uh, your opponent can only get those cards off if they're targeted by the swords. So, uh, for example, if you are going first, you go first, they go second, you know, it doesn't matter. Then you go third, put Arizokart on the swords, and then round four, going into round four, you leave him on the swords, cover, you know, keeping it covered up so that way your opponent can't take it. And then round five, again, you go first, so they're not able to get any of your cards off until round six, and even then, um, they can only get one of them off. So let's say you have both unbowed on vents and both riding temperatures and they're all in like different units. Uh you know, they're they're have to choose one at that point. Um and then not only that, um if uh you start the round he throws out that weakened token, um it may not seem like a lot, but in the turn in which you go or your opponent is going first, uh you now have weakened, like, potentially their key unit. Especially if that key unit needed to kill something that round, and now you took away the free attack from them to do it. Now they actually have to activate to do it. But then when they activate to do it, uh, I mean, for me, this is very common, uh, especially if we're talking round four. Very common that, like, you know, man, one of my units is almost dead. You know, they could potentially just kill it right here, one more attack. It's like, okay, take away the free attack. Okay, you're weakened. All right, they're going to have to lose momentum or lose tempo if they have to take, like, the bags to take it off or even just activate their NCU, like a Catlin or something, to take it off. And now it gives you the opportunity to either take the maneuver to get out of there, attack back, so many different things. So um, I am actually more excited to try him out than I am uh, uh, the other NCU. I think for all the reasons you just have and this is another like <laughs> you're breaking up. Um now? Is it any better? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well I was gonna say uh Martels just do so much to stop Starks, uh to counter, you know, charges and melee attacks in general, um, especially with like Ogre and NCU that this being able to shut off the sword zone for basically three rounds in a row, um, that's that's just going to hurt Starks even more. Um, he's, I think if you can fit him in, if you're not a fan of Doran into you, but you like running like Alaria and Oberyn, uh, and, you, and you don't really get a lot of value out of Peter, uh, I think Ares is worth a look at four points. Yeah, and... Uh, I'll let you in on my super secret awesome uh, 
combo that I can't wait to try with him. Nymeria Sand. Mm. She's the one that gives the advantageous strike. Um, so when attacking enemies that have not activated this round, uh, you can reroll attack dice. She's two points. But then she gives Dornish Vengeance. After this unit is attacked with a melee attack, if you control the swords, the attacker suffers two wounds, plus one wound for each of this unit's destroyed ranks. So if you can guarantee you're going to have the swords round three, four, five, or even let's say four, five, six, if uh, if that ends up being, if you end up not being first, you're second, um, then, you know, you can really... Uh, you know, make her worth her two points. Because um, it's, if I'm not mistaken, I think we talked about it when, you know, she first came out, but she's even uh, worse to face than, uh, like, uh, the Kingsguard, uh, Blount, uh, you know, because I believe he is one plus one for every destroyed rank, two plus one for every destroyed rank. That's a lot of auto wounds. Um <laughs> You know, uh, especially if you have ways to heal back up, if you're doing like a Harmon Uller uh, and you can like supply aid to heal her back up to just constantly, you know, dish out more wounds as you take damage. Or, I mean, people say all the time, oh, I'll just ignore it. Sometimes that's a win too. Sometimes that's a win for me. Oh, you're ignoring me? Uh, okay, I will continue to win. I will continue to take this objective. I'll just ignore you. Okay, well, I mean, that's fine, too. Um, and you so can really I, double down on that approach by adding Edric Dane to that unit as well to give him true conviction and Dauntless. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yep. Um, so... I'm excited. I think there's also some more stuff in there that I'm probably not even thinking about that uh, he combos with really well. Um, so I'm excited to kind of play around with him. All right, you uh, ready to get into these commanders? The last uh, last like ten minutes of the show. Yeah, let's do it real quick. All right. So. Um, I'll just kind of wrap up each commander together. We have Gerald Dane. He's given martial training and boldness and courage on his attached uh, commander. His three cards, he gives reckless strikes, which I'll quickly point out is weird. Um, Notice this right away uh, and then heard uh, stats talk about it. I believe it's the only uh, time that a commander has gotten a tactics card a, a duplicate tactics card of a commander that's already in their faction. So like, for example, there's already, let's say, Warcry across multiple commanders in the game, but not within the same faction. Mm-hmm. So uh, Obara already has Reckless Strike, so that is weird. Um, I think they did, uh, on stats, make a quick reference that it is possible that maybe... Obar is getting looked at in the patch of all the, like, looking at commanders. Maybe Reckless Strikes is being taken off of her. But personally, I, you know, from what I can tell, these sets are done way in advance. I I bet you his cards were already done and printed in the box 
way before they ever even decided to do this commander patch thing. So I think it's just coincidence. Um, next one is coup attempt. Uh, start of an enemy turn, target one zone on the tax board to the end of the turn. When enemy NCU claims that zone, Geraldine's unit may perform one charge action or start of the turn, draw a card. And lone knight, start a friendly turn, target Geraldine's unit. If there are no other units in long range of it, Geraldine's unit may perform one maneuver or march action and start a turn, draw one tax card. Um, I'll let you go first. What, uh, what's your thoughts on Geraldine? Well, I love his, his attachment bonuses. I think martial training and boldness and courage are just really, really standout abilities. He reminds me a lot of Obara, actually, because uh, Obara has some really great just commander attachment abilities that she gives to her unit. Uh, great value for like what you're getting out of a commander. But then the cards, the cards are a little... Uh, I don't know. I guess they're okay. Like on a on a power level of of you know rating commanders, I, I think he's maybe kind of more mid tier, possibly lower tier. Uh, Reckless Strikes is is not known for being a great card. Uh, the coup attempt uh, target his own. If an enemy claims that zone, uh, he can make one charge action. It's, it's really dependent on you know, your enemy doing something so you can get the charge action versus, like, some commanders that just have assault orders and they can just charge, you know, make their unit make a charge whenever they want, like Drogo. Um, and then you got Lone Knight, uh, his unit, no other units in long range of it, and then he can perform a maneuver or march. It's kind of like, well, you know, that's fine. Um, they're 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 just kind of... I don't know. Underwhelming cards. They're not cards that are going to really help you make a big play. Um, I think it's, you're really getting value out of him from his attachment, and that's that's where you you got to get the value out of it. And if and if the attachment's not doing a lot for you, um, I, I don't think his cards are going to make it much better. I see. Uh... Depends on the situation. Um, Lone Knight is, you know, the couple of scenarios where Lone Knight could be useful hinge on you drawing it right when you need it, like like right then and there. Like that one corner case where it will be useful uh, is not going to last long. Like it's going to be like, I need it right now. Like in these couple of actions. Oh, I don't have it? All right, well then, it does, it's no use to me. Um, coup attempt, I think, leaves way too much... Uh, uh, there's too many scenarios uh, where this card can be tripped up. One, you need Gerald Dane to even be in the position to charge. It's not even you get an attack action, it's you get to charge. So if you're already in combat, doesn't do anything. You have to be within the ability to charge to do anything. And not only that, you have to be in the scenario in which you would even want to charge. Because um, you could be like, you know, let's say fire and blood, everyone's looking at each other, and the last thing you want to do is just charge out there and then get destroyed. Uh, and not only that, it's a starter turn effect. So you don't yeah. even know what NCU they're going to activate if they even activate, activate an NCU. And, 
<laughs> and then on top of all of that, it's only pick one zone. Uh, yeah. So, uh, again, this is going to – both of these are probably just going to be draw a new card. Now, with that said, powerful in itself. Uh, being mm -hmm. able to say I don't have four cards in my deck and I only have a 16-card deck to draw into Dune Tactics and Unbowed, Unbent, Unbroken and Rising Temperatures quicker, is, there's something to say about that. Um, so, I don't know. Yeah, and, and there's also the chance that maybe Dark Star's retinue is a commander-type unit. And, I mean, if he gets any special bonus or a special version of that unit, then, yeah, maybe that changes his outlook as a commander, but um, we'll have to see. Yep. All right, so... Next up and last up, we have Damon Sand, Vengeful Knight. He has Intimidation of the Crown. If you control the crown with units performing a melee attack before rolling attack dice, Devon becomes panicked and weakened, and he has Rally Cry. Uh, his cards are Pathetic Attempt, Coordinating uh, a Need for Vengeance, and then the last one is uh, Coordinated Plotting. That one is after a friendly unit completes a melee attack, target one other friendly combat unit in long range of the attacker, that unit performs one maneuver or retreat action. Now, I think Damon Sand is a lot more useful. Um, he's going to have that crown effect, meaning that you'll be a little more inclined to run maybe a couple more crown effects in your list. Rally Cry, uh, combined with maybe like an Outrider for a second Rally Cry, could add a lot of healing into the list. Coordinated Plotting with that free retreater maneuver combined with a uh, Cunning Ploy adds so much maneuverability, especially if you're running that Outrider, gives you all that maneuverability. If you're going to run Oberyn NCU, combined with like a pathetic attempt, means you could deal an insane amount of hits. Uh, re, uh, yeah. um, and then a need for vengeance. Um, I've come to like this card a lot more because uh, it does even though it does give you that free, it gives you a free action and then gives your opponent the ability to activate one NCU, meaning you can eat away at their activa uh, activation advantage without them a lot of the times realizing they're doing it. Um, they just look at it, oh, I get to activate an NCU, okay, I'm going to do that. And that might be powerful, but it, you, you're uh, trading a lot of the upside early in the round for the downside of potentially losing your activation advantage at the end of the round. Yeah, what are your thoughts? If, you've got, um, if you have Ares Oakheart NCU already covering the swords, then you can play this mm -hmm. and, and know that your opponent's not going to be able to take the swords at least and attack you back. Yep, Exactly. Um, and, and man, pathetic attempts! What a great card for for Martell's. <laughs> like having an auto pass, uh, <laughs> auto pass your panic test card, uh, and then boom, take more hits. tactics. All the all the hits. Oberyn NCU to do some set for charge. You know, it's just people are going to charge and then take way more damage than they did with their own attack. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, like, yeah, you Dune Tactic, Slowest Attack Die, and then Unbowed and Bent and Broken to Auto Pass, and then now takes, uh, you took, uh, uh, five hits from Oberyn, and then now you're taking another six hits from Pathetic Attempt. <laughs> um, I think, uh, I still think Damon's Sand is going to kind of fall you know, if I were to rank all the commanders, these two plus the current, it would go Harmon Uller, Oberyn, Obara, Damon Sand, Gerald Dane, and then uh, Doran. I know there's some Doran lovers out there for the commander. I just can't get behind the five-point price tag for an NCU that replaces a zone and then only targets one unit in your unit. faction. Like, yeah. should it at most be four points, but, uh, you know. I, I think he anyways, should be flip-flopped so, with the other Doran uh, as far as points cost goes. I think he should be the four-point version. The other that introduces the new zone should be the five-point version. Yep. And they both should uh, bring water gardens. I think that zone is really nifty. But, all right. Um, with that said, we are running down to the wire here. Thank you so much for coming on, Luke. It was awesome. Uh, everyone, definitely check out Luke's uh, event this uh, weekend. Uh, I believe uh, I'll I'll try to get the details from you, and I'll post them in uh, the Facebook uh, for Small Council. And then everyone else, uh, you know, or everyone, uh, uh, are going to our. Uh, you know, small council's uh, local event out here in the Chicagoland area. Uh, Games Plus Mount Prospect, August 26th. You know, uh, I'm working with uh, the, my co-host. We're going to try to get uh, get you guys some more shows. Uh, with that said, thank you all so much for uh, listening in, and we'll catch you next time. This is Thanks Small Council me. Radio, and it is. Yep, thank you, and it is dismissed. still here. Why?